0: having a good time, aren't they? It's good. Do you remember the day when Jesus crossed the lake and uh, spent some time in a foreign country? He's a Jew, and he's coming to a place that is predominantly Gentile. He is now stepping into a, a different kind of culture, a place where the ideas, the way people think, the traditions and customs, there, are the very opposite of everything he's seen and experienced for the past 30 years while living and working in Israel. He is stepping into a brand new world. The Bible gives us the details about this, Mark chapter 5. Do you remember this? first thing Jesus encounters when he gets to this new place is a man who's demon-possessed. Now, Jesus has dealt with demon possession before, but not like this case. The Bible tells us this man is possessed by a legion of demons, meaning an army of demons. I mean, the darkness here is greater and stronger than anything we've seen before. I mean, at this point in his ministry, Jesus is now facing his greatest challenge of all. But we see the demons are no match for Jesus. In fact, the demons themselves know it. As the army of demons approach Jesus, they do so with fear and trembling. I mean, just right off the bat, they put up the white flag. They they recognize their surrender and say, Lord, we're not here to fight. (laughs) Because we're no match for you. We get that. We're not here to fight. We're just here to make a request. If you're going to cast us out of this man, would you send us into the pigs over there? And Jesus honors that. He does what the demons ask. The demons leave the man, they enter into the pigs, and immediately there's an avalanche. I mean, all of a sudden, 2,000 pigs just go crazy and start running down the hill, jump in the water, and drown. Well, the people back in town hear about this commotion, and they are upset. I mean, they just lost a major investment. 2,000 of their prize hogs have now disappeared into the Sea of Galilee. They have just lost a big chunk of money, and they want to find out who's responsible for this. So they come out to meet Jesus. And when they get out there they're surprised to find this formerly demon possessed man this man who had terrorized the whole region a man so wild and so dangerous in his behavior he was forced to live outside of town I mean way outside of town way out there in the case it would be far away from all people and yet now they see this dangerous man sitting quietly sitting calmly at the feet of Jesus he's not dangerous anymore in fact the Bible will say he's now fully clothed and sitting there in his right mind he's he's not crazy anymore this bad man has suddenly become a very good man it's a miracle an astounding miracle and the people notice this and they're amazed by it but they also notice that the pigs are missing the pigs are gone and because the money matters more to them than this man does they fail to appreciate what Jesus has done so just like the demons these people also make a request Jesus, would you please leave? Please leave. We don't want you. We don't want you around here anymore. And that's something. Jesus has just performed an enormous kindness for this community, alleviating their greatest fear, kicking all the demons out of the territory. And yet, instead of being grateful, they're mad. And they treat Jesus with hostility. But Jesus, just like he did with the demons, so he honors their request, said, okay, I'll do as you ask. I'll leave. So he hops into the boat, ready to leave their country and head back home. And it's at this point that I think the story gets really interesting. Because now the man, as Jesus is stepping into the boat, the man who's been healed, who's had all these demons cast out, now he wants to ask something of Jesus. I mean, everybody else has been making requests of Jesus on this day, so he wants to make a request too. As Jesus gets in the boat, he says, Lord, can I get in the boat? Can I go back with you? And this time, Jesus says, no. (laughs) And I'm thinking, what? What? the demons get what they ask for and these people these pagans who have defiantly rejected Jesus they get what they ask for but the one man in the whole story who really loves Jesus he gets turned down what's going on the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer the bad guys get whatever they want and the good guys they can't seem to catch a break what's going on well let's just stop for a moment before we finish the story I'll just stop and point something out you you need to realize I do too <laughs> what Jesus is doing here how he's dealing with this man sometimes he's going to deal with us the same way in other words sometimes Jesus is going to tell us to do things that clash that clash with what we want and desire sometimes what he teaches here in the word is going to clash with our upbringing you know I was always brought up to believe and then Jesus comes along and says something different or what he commands here in his word is sometimes going to clash with our personal opinions you know I've always thought or I've always felt And yet Jesus comes along and says something that's the very opposite of that. Or sometimes what God teaches here in his word is going to clash with our political views or our cultural cultural values. Hey, as long as I'm not hurting anybody, shouldn't I be free to do whatever I want? And Jesus says no. And all of a sudden you find yourself at this point of tension where what he says and what I think are not the same thing. We're not on the same page. What Jesus wants and desires for me, what the world wants... They're completely at odds with each other. So you're at this point of tension where you've got a decision to make. Who are you going to listen to? Who are you going to follow? Are you going to follow Jesus or follow your gut? Are you going to do what Jesus wants and desires for you? Or are you going to let some other voice in this world have the final word, the final say in your life? That's what's happening in Mark chapter 5. Here's this man who really loves Jesus. And yet he's now at this point of tension because what he wants and what Jesus wants for him, they're not the same thing. He's looking for yes and Jesus says no. But fortunately, Jesus goes ahead and tells him why. He turns to this brand new disciple and says, Listen, there's a reason why I'm turning you down. I don't want you to get in the boat with me. I want you to stay put, stay home. I want you to spend some time with these people who do not like me. (laughs) Because right now, you're the only one who could connect with them. So you just stay here and, and spend some time. And as the opportunities arise, you let them know about the good things that I've done for you. Let them see how I have changed your life. Let them see this is real. This is no trick or piece of magic. God really is at work in your life. And as they begin to sense that, they're going to start to get curious. And they're going to begin to ask questions. So you see, because of you and the life that you live, because of you and the story you tell, they're going to begin to learn the truth about me. So the man does just as Jesus says. He, he stays and he begins to talk to other people about Jesus and what happens. A couple chapters later, you get to the latter part of Mark chapter 7. You find Jesus coming back to the same place, this foreign country only this time he gets a completely different reception this time we read about the feeding of the 4,000 not the feeding of the 5,000 that happened among the Jews but we're reading about the feeding of the 4,000 what's happening here among people who are not Jews we see Jesus performing miracles we watch the crowds respond positively to the preaching of Jesus we're seeing disciples be made here among the Gentiles how did that happen what opens the door to this revival it's this man this brand new disciple in his own quiet way he just talks he just lets other people know the truth about Jesus I believe we're being asked to do the very same thing in this scripture that we're going to study today 2nd Timothy chapter 4 we're just going to look at two verses take a look at this with me chapter 4 verse 1 says in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus meaning he's here and he's watching He's watching because he expects something from us. He has an assignment for us, and he wants to see if we're carrying out that assignment. So in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, the one who's going to judge the living and the dead, he's going to judge. Meaning we need to be responsible. We will be held accountable. God has a plan for this world, and we have a part in that plan. Are we doing our part? Have we responded to that purpose? Now, Now, put this in the right context. We talk about God watching. Watching in what way? To see who's been naughty and who's been nice. You know, watching like a prison guard, watching that criminal there in the cell, just hoping to catch him, break some reel so he can clobber him? No, no. God's watching like parents, watching a baby sleeping in the crib. Is he sleeping okay? He's breathing, right? Yeah, yeah. See, they're watching because they want things to go well for that child. They're watching because they want to see this child grow and experience life to the fullest. They're watching because they're expecting good things for this child. That's how God watches us because he cares because he wants to be involved he wants to see us grow and develop so in the presence of the one who's watching the presence of God in Christ Jesus the one who's going to judge the living and the dead and in view of his appearing know this he is coming back and when he returns he will establish his kingdom in the fullest possible measure so Paul says the Apostle Paul turns to this young man Timothy he says in light of all these powerful truths I want to give you this charge, this solemn charge, preach the word. Now, there are nine commands. You'll find nine different commands here in the first five verses. Five of them right here in verse 2 and another four down in verse 5. But I think this is the primary one, preach the word. And everything else, all the other eight commands kind of surround and and supplement and support this one primary command. Preach the word. See, preach the word, be willing to share the truth about Jesus. And you've got to be ready to do this in season and out season when it's convenient and even when it's not convenient. Do you remember how Jesus experienced this? You remember the first time he preached in his hometown, Nazareth? And do you remember the kind of reception he got? It wasn't good. <laughs> Here's the place Jesus has spent most of his life, close to 30 years, grown up in this place. He knows these people really well. He understands what they wrestle and struggle with. And he's seen something over the years that just really concerns them, their prejudice, their racial prejudice. These are Jewish people and they hate the Gentiles. Just, just, I mean, they're not shy about it. They just hate them. And they make no room for the Gentiles in their lives at all. And Jesus is concerned about that. So first time he gets a chance, they're in the local synagogue. It's his opportunity to preach. He wants to talk about this. But it's the way he talks about it that I find fascinating. You know, Jesus doesn't get up and say, you know, I have an opinion I'd like to share with you today. Uh, Guys, gals, you know me and I know you. We've known each other for a long, long time. But there's something I've seen for years and it just kind of bothers me. The prejudice, this hatred of the Gentiles. You know, just my opinion, but I don't think this is right. I really believe God loves the Gentiles just as much as he does the Jews. I think we ought to love them too. Just my opinion. So once church is over, everybody walks out of the building, and they stand out there in the parking lot kind of chatting with each other. Hey, what did you think about Jesus? What did you think about that sermon they preached today? Ah, uh, I think he spent too much time in California. He sounds liberal to me. I, I really don't care for his opinion. Hey, where do you want to go for lunch? And they go out and get a bite to eat and they forget all about the message. Why? It was just an opinion. It's you Easily dismiss it. But that's not what Jesus did, is it? You read Luke chapter 4. You read the setting there. He didn't preach an opinion. He preached the word. Do you remember? They handed Jesus the scrolls, the scriptures. And he opened it up to a specific spot. He knew where he wanted to preach from. He opened it up to the book of Isaiah. So he starts there, and then he winds up in the book of 1 Kings, and then he winds up 2 Kings. Remember some of the thoughts he shared that day? Jesus said, do you remember the days of Elijah? A famine had spread across the land, and everybody in a bad way, even Elijah. Elijah needs help. So where did God send him to get that help? To a Jew? No, he sent him to the widow of Zarephath. A Gentile. Isn't that something? And then years later, the next prophet that comes along, Elisha. God wants Elisha to heal a leper. Now, there were all kinds of Jewish people suffering from leprosy right there in Israel, but he didn't heal any of them. Who did God bring his way? He brought Naaman, the Syrian. A Gentile. Now he's preaching the word. What kind of response did he get? Remember, people got mad. It's <laughs> so mad they grabbed him. And please don't do this to me. <laughs> if you're getting ready to do this, warn me in advance. <laughs> but they grabbed Jesus and they pulled him out of the building. And they took him to the top of the hill, and they're they're ready to kill. They're going to throw him off the side. They want to totally get rid of this guy. Why he preached the word? Now get this. He wasn't mean. He wasn't rude in the way he presented. He's humble and gentle as he always is. But he preached the word. But sometimes people prefer the darkness over the light. So when they hear the truth about God, they're not always going to respond in a kind way. You see, Jesus experienced what we're talking about here. Preach the word. Share the truth about God. Do it whether it's easy or not. Whether it's popular or not. Like Jesus sure wasn't popular that day. But just preach the word. Well, here's three different ways you've got to try to communicate it. Sometimes like Jesus in Luke chapter 4, you're correct. you rebuke. Other occasions, you encourage. But whether it's correct, rebuke, or encourage, you do it with great patience. Why? Because rarely does anybody get converted to Jesus quickly. Most of the time, learn that truth about Jesus. That takes a long time for that truth to soak in and really grab a person's heart. So be patient. Don't give up too quickly. Just keep caring. Keep talking. Just stay with, keep praying for them. And not only do it with great patience, it says, and also with careful instruction. That means put it down where they can get it where it makes sense to them, where they can connect, not just up here intellectually, but down here in the heart, too. In his autobiography, Just As I Am, Billy Graham tells about this day. He's out there on the golf course playing golf with the president, the president of the United States, President John Kennedy. And he said, as they were standing on the green, uh, the president turned to him and said, Billy, do you believe in the second coming of Jesus? And Billy Graham said, yeah, I sure do. And Mr. Kenney said, well, you, Billy, you know me. We, we talked a lot. I'm a Catholic. I grew up in the Catholic Church. I just never heard my church say much about that. What does the Bible say about the second coming? So Billy Graham said for the next 10, 15 minutes, they, they stood there, and, and he just kind of gave a quick summary of what the Bible says about the return of Christ. And Mr. Kenney said, wow, that's interesting. That's really interesting. I'd like to know more about that. Can we talk another time? And Billy Graham said, yes, you just let me know when I'll be there. Billy Graham said the next time he saw Mr. Kennedy was at the 1963 National Prayer Breakfast, and Billy said, that day I had the flu, I was just feeling awful. <laughs> he said, the two of us, we gave our talks, our presentation, then we walked out of the building. It was a cold, snowy day there in Washington, D.C. Billy Graham said, I didn't have my overcoat, so I just freezing to death, but I wanted to walk the president to his car. He said, we got to the limousine, and all of a sudden the president stopped and turned around and said, Billy, would you ride with me back to the White House? I got some questions. I got some things I'd I'd really like to talk to you about. Could you just sit here and ride with me for a while? And Billy Graham said, Mr. President, I got this terrible fever. I'm not feeling well at all. I'd hate for you to catch this. I mean, i just feel terrible if you got sick because of me. Could we wait and do this another day? And Mr. Kennedy smiled and said, "Uh, sure, I understand. We'll wait till another time. He hopped in the limousine, went off. And Billy Graham says, never saw him again, a couple weeks later. November 22nd, 1963, John Kennedy was assassinated. Never saw him again. Billy Graham, many years later, he's reflecting on it. He says, I am still haunted by that memory. What was on his mind? What did he want to talk to me about that day? And why? Why? Why didn't I get in the car with him? I am never going to be able to recover that moment. That's why there's such a sense of urgency to these words at the Apostle Paul here towards the end of his life, knowing how precious every moment is. He gives this charge: preach the word when it's easy, even when it's not easy. When it's convenient, even when it's not convenient. When God opens the door, never hesitate to tell other people the truth about Jesus. And yet we do; <laughs> we all do. We all hesitate. Why? Well, one of the reasons why is this word here: preach. You know, we hear the word preach, we think of what I'm doing right now, standing up here in a platform, you know, people gather together at a special time, special place, to hear the word of God taught and explained. And many times in the Bible, that's how that word preach is used. You see a lot of examples of this in the book of Acts, with the sermons that Peter and Paul delivered. But that's not the only way that the Bible uses that word preach. In fact, this word that's used here, the Greek word that is used here, that's translated preach, is the same exact word that's used in Mark chapter 1, verse 45 where you find this man who's been healed of leprosy, and he is so thrilled about what Jesus has done for him that uh, he wants everybody to know. So the Bible says, Mark 1:45, he went everywhere preaching the good news. And it's obvious from that context that he wasn't standing behind a table or a pulpit, wasn't standing in some special kind of building. No, it was just kind of an informal thing. The people he met in his home, the people he met on the street, hey, do you see what Jesus did for me? Do you see how he changed my life? He's the one that made this happen. Isn't that something and in that context the bible calls that talking that sharing preaching in fact did you know if you worked your way through the new testament in the greek bible you'd find 33 different words that are translated in our english bibles as preach or proclaim it describes all different kinds of activities like acts chapter 8 verse 4 and the bible says when the persecution broke out against the church there in jerusalem many of the christians began to scatter the apostles stayed but at that point, many of the Christians said, hey, we, we ought to go back and live somewhere else. So many of the Christians decided to move to other towns and villages. And yet the Bible says, Acts 8, 4, as they went from place to place, they went everywhere preaching the word. What does it mean they were preaching? Does that mean they waited till the Sabbath and they went to the synagogue and there made a, got up in front of an audience and made a formal prepared presentation? Here's why I believe Jesus and Messiah. Yeah, maybe some of them did that. But i got to think, when it talks about these people going everywhere and preaching the word, it's more like what we read in Acts chapter 18. Priscilla and Aquila, this wife and husband, they invited Apollos, Apollos to come to their house for a meal. And they're in the privacy of their home, in this non-threatening atmosphere. As they're sitting around a table, sharing a meal, just kind of a one-on-one encounter. The Bible says Priscilla and Aquila, they just began to teach. They, they taught, they explained the word of God so that Apollos could understand it more accurately. I think that's what a lot of those people are doing Acts chapter 8 as they settle down in those new towns in the midst of their daily routines as they're having these casual conversations with the people they're working with out there in the marketplace as the opportunity arises, they begin to tell other people about their faith in Jesus so sometimes when the Bible uses that word preach it's talking about something formal like what we see Stephen doing Acts chapter 7 they're in a very official kind of gathering all the religious leaders sitting quietly for a long period of time listening as he delivers a sermon that's preaching but I also think it refers to those informal occasions when just having a casual conversation with a neighbor or a friend. Or sometimes it's even between those two things. It's interesting, in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10, the apostle Peter says, Anyone who speaks, let them speak as though they were speaking the very words of God. And according to the scholar Peter David, the kind of speaking he's talking about is a, a teaching, an exhortation kinda like what a counselor a Christian counselor does they're working with a client they're making some observations they're sharing some insight and then because they're Christian they open up the word and say hey let's discuss a strategy how are we going to turn things around here what are some next steps that you can begin to take and from the word they encourage they exhort that person to get back on their feet again or maybe it's what a max locato does when he writes a book or maybe it's what many of you do when you write a blog you go public with your faith and you begin to address the issues of the day. and here's how I as a Christian see these things this is how I read this or maybe it's what some of you do when you teach a Sunday school class or you lead a discipleship group see there's all different kinds of ways to preach the word and the point is it's something we can all do and yet we hesitate (laughs) part of the reason we hesitate because it intimidates us it just scares us and I get that I get scared too so think of it like this who was it that was instrumental in leading you to Christ who were the people that made the difference for you? Who Who is the one that helped you understand what it really means to put your trust in Jesus? Was it a parent, a sibling, a friend from school, a college roommate? And what was it about their approach? Why were they able to connect with you and nobody else could? What, what did they do that enabled them to connect? What was it about the way they explained things that made the story of Jesus so compelling and so convincing for you? Was it their integrity, their persistence, their enthusiasm, their courage, their care? And could not those same qualities be in you? I mean what they did for you that they found a way to connect with you could not what they did for you could you not do the same thing for them sure sure you can see you don't have to be a Billy Graham holding giant crusades and watching thousands respond to the invitation that's his style of preaching not yours and it's not mine God just wants you to be you and then watch watch for the people that God will put in your path the family friends grandchildren the people you see every day at the gas station, the people you meet every day at the grocery store. You know, it's like Dan Clymer talked to us a couple weeks ago. Why do you keep bumping into these same people? Maybe that's no accident. Maybe God wants you to connect with them. So like Dan Clymer said, hey, start listening. Start paying attention. Start asking questions. Find out who they really are. Find out what it is that they're wrestling with. Build that relationship. Build that trust. And let those people know that you really care. They're not just a project. They're people and you care. Regardless of whether they end up deciding yes for Jesus or not, I'm going to care about them. And when you get to that point, then just wait for God to open the door. And when he does, you don't have to preach a whole sermon. Just share a thought. Hey, here's what's been helpful for me. Here's how the Lord made a difference for me. Now, if you want to talk further about that, I'd be happy to do so. Just let me know and let God take it from there. Some years ago, there was this uh, doctor, a young doctor by the name of Julius Hickerson, and he had this promising future in front of him, doctor, you know, I'm going to help people. But then he decided one day to, to give that up and instead become a missionary to Columbia, South America. All his friends thought he was crazy, giving up all this pay, all these perks, this great life as a doctor. And you're going to be a missionary. Where? Columbia, South America? Man, you've never been to Bible college. You don't have any training for this. What are you doing? You're throwing your life away. Two years later, after being in the mission field for two years, and there were no visible results. And After two years, not one Convert not one, <laughs> and everybody, all his friends back in the states "Man, he he made a huge mistake." And then there was the tragedy. He was killed in a plane crash. He and a friend of his, a pilot friend, were trying to deliver some supplies to a very remote region of Colombia, but the plane crashed, and they were both killed in the crash. Well, the people in that remote village that came out, sort through the wreckage so they could find the bodies, give them a proper burial, and they knew about the supplies coming, so they started to gather up the supplies. And in the midst of the supplies, they found a Bible. A Bible that was written in their own language. And it was all marked up with all kinds of notes. So they started to read it. It was five years before another missionary actually reached that area of Columbia. And when they got there, they found several growing, thriving churches. And the missionary was astounded hey, how did this happen? And they brought out the Bible and said, here's why. And he opened it up to the front cover and he saw the name Julius Hickerson. See, here was the Bible that he would use every day so he could learn about Jesus. And as he was learning about Jesus, he'd write down some notes. Here's what I'm learning. And then God used his Bible to preach the word to others. You see, the Bible says, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, know this, your labor in the Lord is never in vain. Maybe, like Julius Hickerson, you're going to have to wait until you get to see the glory, to see the impact that God made through your life. But know this, when you preach the word, even when it's not easy, even when it's not convenient, even like with Jesus, when it's not popular, just preach the word, share the word the truth about Jesus and know this that your labor for the Lord will never be wasted let's pray God open the eyes of our heart to see who you really are to see what you're really like let's see again God what a great and awesome God you are and God I pray the prayer of Paul, the Apostle Paul, Ephesians chapter 3, give us the power to grasp, give us the power to comprehend how great and awesome is the love that you have for us. And may it be that love that compels us to want to share with others. God, help us to really see and notice and pay attention to the people that you put in our path, the people you want us to connect with, the people you want us to care for, the people you want us to serve. And then God, give us the courage to talk about Jesus so that they can see and know the truth about him, so they too can experience his goodness and his glory. God, what I'm praying for today is just transform each and every one of us, each in our own unique way, the unique way in which you've made us, but God, transform each and every one of us here into that bold and beautiful witness for Jesus. God, every day, may it be his grace and his truth that shines through us. And I pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.